I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I'm recording today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respects to Elders past and present. Extraordinary friends, how are you all going? This episode is the second half of the conversation I had with Sophia. So if you haven't listened to the first half, then I highly recommend you go back to the previous episode and have a listen before you start in on this one. We cover some very different topics over this chat. So you don't have to have heard the first half, but Fee has such an interesting story. I think you'd love it, and it will give this chat a little bit more context. But first, let me update you on my happenings, because it's been a hot minute since releases. I love that the podcast is a little bit of a time capsule of the pandemic for me. I listened back to the last intro as a refresher, and I feel like I've been so busy doing the day-to-day that I've kind of forgotten all of the start to the second wave already, and maybe even the middle of it too. Currently, it's the third week in November, and we're eating daily donuts, the state has opened up, and we're just waiting on word that we can mingle with the other states. Poor SA has just gone into a lockdown after an outbreak, after being case-free for such a long time. I really hope that it's contained quickly for them. Turns out the coronavirus is really infectious and can spread quickly. Who knew? It was a bloody tough few months there. Nothing much changed for us here until we could get outside our 5k zone. Nothing is within 5k's of us. So it was nice to stretch out to our 25k zone and now to be able to visit regionally, where my mum and dad are currently packing up their house, ready to move locally to us. I'm so excited. I've also already bought my ticket to Townsville. Uh, I'm going in the first week of December to see my sister and my nephew. So Anastasia better do me a solid, because man, I'm hanging to squish Henry's little cheeks and sing him songs and watch him discover the world. And the kids are back at school and kinder. After over 15 weeks of every day being mum, entertainer, cleaner, chef, teacher, nurse and referee, I've had some alone time. There's quiet. I have the opportunity to do a task from start to finish without interruption. All the things I've been dreaming about being able to do are ready. They're waiting. And they're going to have to keep waiting because I seem to have fallen in a heap. My brain just can't seem to land on anything. My thoughts are jumping around like a bunch of deranged crickets and all I want to do is nap. I was complaining to my sister that I finally have some time to get things done and yet I'm still not achieving anything or even just keeping on top of the day-to-day. I'm tired constantly and she said the most profound thing to me. She said, Nat, if you're tired, it may mean that you need to rest. She's very wise. It sounds obvious, right? But I nearly cried. Why do I need someone else to give me permission to rest? I'm allowed to feel tired. It's 2020. I've had three migraines in the last few weeks. And I haven't had reliable sleep for six years. But God, it's hard to compare my productivity levels with other people's and not get completely shattered by the fact that I didn't get this podcast out weeks ago or actually plan a meal more than an hour before it was dinner time. Who are these magical humans who are somehow navigating work, 
and kids and new business ventures, exercising and replying to text messages. What's going on? I'm in awe of those of you who can do this. Please feel free to let me know your secrets. For some of us, though, the long-term effects of the constant stress will take a long time to wear off. A friend told me how, in a PD session she attended recently, they explained that when we're in a period of unalleviated stress, our brains get rid of everything that's not necessary to immediate survival. So if you've found your memory failing, or you can't seem to finish sentences or complete tasks before being distracted by something else, then you're actually very normal, and your body is doing its very best to keep you going. I'm holding on to that, and I'm doing my best not to get frustrated at the gap between my intentions and my capabilities right now. Anyway, as the day-to-day mental load of life ramps up with the reintroduction of extracurriculars, playdates, visits, and the looming spectre of Christmas on the horizon, I hope you're finding joy and not feeling too overwhelmed by it all. It's a lot. I'm doing my best to build in some space where I can and not to overcommit myself, but I'm very excited to see people. Brené Brown has a really great podcast that she released recently about all of this. I'll add it to the show notes. It's called Burnout and How to Complete the Stress Cycle. Oh, and Missy Higgins has just released a beautiful song about being reminded of what was really important when it was taken away through the lockdown. It's called When the Machine Starts, and I've been listening to it on repeat. Give them both a listen and be gentle on yourself. And rest, you magnificent bitch. And just so you know, I fully appreciate that I'm giving advice that I may not follow myself. We picked our puppy Rosie up just over two months ago now, and she's a very enthusiastic member of the family. She's defending the backyard from birds, she loves tearing up cardboard, stealing our dirty socks and undies, and she's a total water dog. Her very favourite thing is getting in the shower or bath with the kitties. I mean, why drink the fresh water in your bowl when you can have the dregs of the bath water after two ferals have soaked in it? The kids love it a bit, and she's smart and responding to training but it's a lot some days, especially because the kids are harder to train. Does anyone have any tips for how to teach kids not to be so rough? I mean, I get it. You want to give her a hug, but can she breathe while you're doing it? I swear my neighbours are probably sick of hearing me yell at the kids because they've got her in a chokehold. Rosie especially loves Kenzie, but Kenz can't read her cues at all and literally does everything to get her revved up before getting upset that she's getting bailed up by an overexcited puppy. It's funny how so many parenting strategies are exactly the same for kids as for puppies. Be consistent. Reward the behaviour you do want instead of punishing what you don't. Like I said, it's a lot though, and it's taking time. I'm watching a lot of YouTube tutorials on dog training, and puppy school started this week, which has been great. With the return to human school and more social interactions comes an unfortunate development. I've had to start wearing actual pants again. Through our long winter, it had gotten to the point where even active wear wasn't comfy enough for the day-to-day. I really embraced the tracky dack, and the kids could even tell when it was time to go get the click and collect, because I would change out of my fleece tracksuit pants into my fancy tracksuit pants. And Kenz would say, oh, we're going out. Don't worry though, the going out pants still have an elasticated waist. I'm not sure I'll ever go back. I've had a taste of pant freedom, and I kind of like being comfy. Plus... I really like having pockets. With the sun shining, the days feeling brighter and freedom imminent, it's hard to really sit in the difficulty of this year. 
I've said it before, but I'm actually pretty lucky. And I can recognize that. We have security, a support network and space. So we've had a lot more to work with than many others to get through this year. But I want to talk about something that's really made all of this harder for me. And I imagine it's been hard for others as well. And that is the poor reporting and the conflation of fact and opinion online. There's an article that puts it all together much more succinctly than I'm going to be able to. Trust me, I've tried. It's taken me a long time to figure out what I wanted to say in this intro about it. So a link to the article, it's from The Shot, and it's called We Deserve This Moment, But Don't Forget Who Helped and Who Hindered. I'll put it in the show notes. Basically, we've experienced a media landscape throughout the pandemic full of shonky reporting that has done its best to undermine the efforts of all Victorians. They've spread misinformation, chosen the negative outlook, and showcased the worst of us in a time when I think the majority of us have really done our best. I'm sure a lot of this is just motivated out of the need to get people clicking on the links, rather than from a dastardly plan. But the end result has been that in the midst of a really shit time, it was hard to maintain the focus on the big picture of why we were locking down, and also to keep the perspective on just how lucky we were to have a government and social safety nets to protect our most vulnerable. A lot of those vulnerable people can read, and I shudder to think of the effect it had on them to hear people saying they weren't as important as keeping the economy on track. I started out being really reactive and arguing with strangers on the internet. An effective strategy for changing minds the world over. And then I delved into the media biases and the genesis of things like conspiracy theories. And now I'm just disengaging. I do try to be careful about not existing in an echo chamber. I read up about varied viewpoints and I like to see things from another person's perspective so that I don't go down a righteous rabbit hole. But seriously, my preppy is learning the difference between facts and opinions right now. Can I recommend that we all revisit this lesson? And particularly when it comes to the media we consume and support. So yeah, I feel like we have the power to choose the narrative surrounding events. But I also think that those with the platforms to tell the stories also have a responsibility to report accurately and to showcase the good, not just the sensational. Okay, now... I would like to invite you to listen to the second half of my chat with Sophia. And just a little warning, we do talk about her birth where she experienced some trauma and the resulting feelings that arose from that. If that does bring anything up for you, the organisation Panda does some beautiful work in this space. The number is 1300 726 306 and I'll pop up a link in the show notes to their website as well if you need to get in touch or if you want to investigate further. I really hope you get a lot out of this one. We talk birth, identity, showing up for new mums and life between lockdowns. Here's Sophia. rebuilt your identity yeah having left jehovah's witnesses and then you've come to a new country and mm. you've created this life for yourself what did motherhood do for your identity motherhood good question motherhood so my identity 
it's funny because when I first moved here, I could have literally been anyone, right? Mm. I just stayed with the same old boring me. <laughs> I didn't really, like, my identity didn't really change as much. As, as more of my environment changed. But when I became mum, I know that I certainly felt more lost than I thought I really would. I yeah. didn't really understand why I felt so um, invisible and just completely <laughs> I remember um, having Ethan was actually really hard. I did not expect the feelings I got. And I didn't know anyone else who had a baby. Like, mm. I wasn't friends with anyone else who had a baby. I know, like, um, Nicole was due, and I think Josie was due at the time, but a little bit later on, I didn't have anyone to talk to, and I was terrified. And I remember I picked up the phone and I called Renee who, for anyone who doesn't know, Renee is um, my husband um, went to school with her husband, Scott, and they played basketball together regularly. And Renee had just had her third baby. Mm-hmm. And me and Renee were, you know, we'd see each other on social events and we'd chat, but um, we didn't really see each other outside those events um, together socially. But I did not know who else to ring. And, you know, like yeah. my mum wasn't here. I didn't really know who to call. And I remember I just I was a bit sheepish and I just asked, I just asked a is it okay to feel really sad mm. about having a baby and not feel happy? And is it okay to like kind of not really feel like you love them completely? Yeah. And she dropped everything and she came to my house. Oh, wow. And she, I think she came the next day. She brought Lewis because Lewis was her little three-month-old at the time. Yeah. And she just sat there on the couch and she just let me cry. And she just, and she gave me a cuddle. And we talked about my birth experience and she just told me everything would be okay. And I felt, and you know, anyone could have told me that and I wouldn't Mm. believe them. But Renee was sat there as a successful mum of three Mm. and a confident mum of three. And she told me everything would be okay. And from that point, I was just like, yeah, it will be. It will be okay. Everything will be fine. And it did, obviously. Like I was really struggling, but everything was fine after that but it's just so amazing how someone you don't necessarily know very well can just make all the difference just by being supportive and understanding and listening it's just she was awesome being validated yeah do you know I'd completely forgotten because you'd actually messaged me as well oh yes I did yeah oh I I didn't drop everything to see you (laughs) sorry (laughs) good on you Renee because that's really that's what you should do props Renee um yeah, no, I remember you saying yeah. that you're feeling. I was completely terrified, yeah. and I just had no idea. I remember, um, I remember when Ethan was put in my arms. It was a pretty bloody traumatic experience. I reckon my birth was probably. I probably had maybe a bit of PTSD after my birth. Yeah. It was really difficult. Do you want to uh, tell me that story? Oh, I can tell you yeah. that story if you want. Because I actually really like birth stories. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um. So Ethan was. Uh. He was like 41 weeks and three days, mm-hmm. and he was massive. Freaking huge. You, your husband is a very tall man. <laughs> unit. So I was in labor with Ethan for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And I tried everything. I really wanted a water birth. But I was at the Mercy Hospital and they don't do water birth. Okay. But I wanted a bath anyway. Yep. And I just said, look, if you'd like trying to take me out while I'm pushing, I don't think you can do that. So like wink, wink, maybe let me stay in. Yep. And my midwife was really cool with that. But unfortunately, nothing progressed. And then they had to... I don't want to say pop my bubble. <laughs> they had to break my break waters. Yeah. And after that, unfortunately, 
Lalithan had done a poo. Yeah. And so I had to go on monitoring, lie on yeah. my back. The whole birth plan was kaput. Scrapped. And I spent hours like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember being furious because the Lamar's class told me <laughs> that I would feel a natural urge to push Mm-hmm. And I didn't mm. at all. The whole mm-hmm. labor, nothing, nothing, no urge to push. I pushed because I'm like, well, I want this baby out. But there yep. was no urge to push. Yeah. And I pushed for two hours straight and I was not progressing and it was really hard. And Ethan was kind of in between. Mm. So like he was halfway down the birth canal, mm. but nothing was working. And I remember the monitoring sort of suggesting that Ethan was in some kind of distress. So they decided to call the doctors in. And I'd gone through this, all of this. There was, so there was no pain relief at this point. So, like, there was no epidural or anything. And I remember the doctors came in and they said, right, we're just going to have to try and get this baby out fairly quickly. So they tried uh, the Von 2 suction. Did not work. And then I remember they just, like, everything was being unfolded. Like, all the um, trays were being unfolded quite quickly. And I remember them saying to me, okay, we're just going to try and numb you in the area because we need to get this the baby out. Mm-hmm. And I remember being numbed and I remember they gave me the anesthetic and literally did an episiotomy within maybe 10 seconds of each other yeah so that that didn't really work yeah um so I felt the full episiotomy um Mm. and then immediately after that forceps and then yanking this poor little baby out of me and it was like a pain like I had a natural birth with Isabel like completely natural very normal and I the pain level for Ethan was like out of this world like yeah. I thought I was dying mm-hmm. and it was a really I've I really felt like it was a massively traumatic experience mm-hmm. I mean like no one really needs to feel their vagina being cut with scissors no, no. one needs that no that's not cool I understand it was just all in a rush and yeah. I I get it that I obviously had opted earlier because I thought it was really cool not to have an epidural <laughs> should have learned but yeah um I tell everyone now because uh, I had one with my second it just like, ask for it. yeah it really it makes things so much oh nicer oh god so it was a really traumatic experience and then they put a baby on you and then you're told by, you know, media and Hollywood and everyone that, you know, this is that moment where you just mm. get that, and Lamar's, mm-hmm. you get this overwhelming like rush of hormones and you fall in love with this thing immediately. Yeah. And I looked at this thing as the cause of my immense pain and I was yeah. like, I don't want him right now. Yeah. And I didn't. And I had to hand him to Greg and Greg was like, smushy like crying his eyes out like he wouldn't let him go and yeah. I wanted nothing to do with him mm. and then it took me a couple of weeks before yeah. I really felt like I wanted him like that sounds terrible but I remember lying in bed one night once we'd gotten home from hospital and I was crying and I was just lying there and I thought if someone knocks on my door and goes I'm so sorry we've got a mix-up this is not your baby I go cool take him yeah and I remember feeling that way yep and it's heartbreaking to mm. admit, but that's how you feel. And so ever since, and obviously, like, it all smoothed out. It took me a, a couple of weeks, maybe, I'd say even maybe a couple of months to really build up that connection with Ethan. Yeah. But after that point, obviously, we were just, I mean, just like a normal mother-child relationship. Like, you, yeah. you love them so much that you want to die. Um, <laughs> and from that point, I have always made it my goal in life is to just not warn a new mum. Because I hated people like that. They were like, oh, you're not going to get any sleep and say goodbye to this and that. But I just, every time someone had a baby, I would just reach out and just go, hey, if you ever feel sad, give me a shout. Like, not you're going to feel sad because there's lots of people that don't go through that. But just in case you do, just know you can come and talk to me. Yeah, I have 
you do this a little bit better than I do because I actually have that same thing because I had postnatal anxiety with Ken's. Yeah, so when people are pregnant, I'm trying to like impart all this wisdom and like, you know, and if you feel this, this is normal and this is normal and you might feel like this is this is normal. And quite often though, people are doing just fine. Yeah. And they don't actually, you know, have any of these same experiences. That's it, but yeah. I just so desperately want them to be okay. Case. Yeah. And know that their experience is their experience and valid. And That's it. Yeah, but I've I've actually really struggled with that balance of not kind of imposing my experience I just I just shoot off a message like you know if someone lets me know that they're having uh, they've had their baby or they're talking to me about it I don't give them baby advice because I think Mm. they just get that from everyone and yeah they don't need to hear my baby advice because my kids were like totally different obviously than your baby Mm. but yeah I'll just say just hey don't stress if afterwards you feel sad or teary and mm-hmm. like really, really sad, mm-hmm. don't stress, okay? And if you want to talk to someone about your birth or you feel a bit sad or not quite connecting at the start, don't freak out. Yeah. Don't freak out. And you can talk to me. That's mm-hmm. it. And I'll just leave it at that. And they'll go, oh, thanks for letting me know. And I have had some people text me. I'm like, I'm not a psychologist, but I can definitely listen to you yeah. and hear you. And validate And just say, like Renee said to me, everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they need to hear it. And sometimes they need to hear it from a mum. Mm-hmm. you know and not yep. from their mates yeah you know I remember always looking for mums to speak to because I felt like there was no one else in the world that could possibly understand except just another mum and kind of true yeah and of my age too mm. because I think you know if you start talking to your, your your mother-in-law or someone a bit older it's a completely different experience one they don't remember and two 30 40 years ago and yeah. <laughs> but how quickly like once you're out of that like, because it is such a, like, intense bubble of time. Mm-hmm. Like, even now, like, uh, my sister's got a, he's nearly six months old now, and she's like, oh, you know, what what do you feed them? What's their first foods? And I'm like, Whoosh. I don't remember. <laughs> I mean, I think I gave them avocado. <laughs> like, mushy stuff. Oh, you like that with your second baby as well? You're like, when do they start crawling? I'm like, yeah. you have to Google it all over again. Yeah. You think you'd remember, but no idea. No. no. And because you're so absorbed and you're so in it at the time and it's so relevant at the time yeah and that's why the mother's group so great as well because no one else cares about the difference between a 12 week old and a 14 week old yeah but in your mother's group it's like you know in two more weeks this is going to happen yeah and it's such a yeah just an intense time yeah it's good to go through it with some mm. people of the same age definitely yeah yeah wow motherhood's crazy but it's, it's good it shaped me it's, a, yeah. it's been a really rewarding experience for me i think mm-hmm. just brought out I reckon Ethan now starting schools maybe brought out a lot of anxiety in me because I think Greg's picked up on this. Maybe I relate my experience with school to how he's going to find school Mm -hmm. and Greg keeps reminding me, see, it's a completely different, he's a completely different kid from a completely different background. You don't need to worry about him. He's not going to be the social outcast. (laughs) He will be fine, you know. But I think you do start to um, feel so much more when you have, obviously, when you have kids, like everything, everything that could possibly affect them sort of. You want to protect them. Yeah, big time. Um, But it's the best thing I reckon that's ever happened to me. Amazing. Sometimes I'd like a little bit more time on my own. (laughs) Yes. I've actually, I don't want to say I've been lucky because I, I, I don't want to conflate that with, you know, I think it's it's actually really important and should be normal. But I have been lucky that, you know, I get to go away fairly mm. frequently. And, you know, last year I went on a, like a retreat a quarter. Yeah, and, um, nice. But they're, they're the making of me. Like they just, they bring me back to me and then I'm ready to be a good 
parent and a good wife again, but I'd need that separation. And I used to always worry, like I've, I've got some friends and, you know, like breastfed and, you know, haven't, you know, the three kids in and have had like one night away from them. And, you know, by six months I was like, right, so where's the hotel? Oh, <laughs> Where am I going? Okay. And, you know, people would be like, don't you miss it? I'm like, not even a bit. No. And I'd always worry that I wasn't, yeah, feeling that separation enough. But, you know, now I can kind of look back and go, no, I just knew what I needed and you I needed, needed that. needed a break. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everyone does. No one really needs to be around their kids 24-7. <laughs> no. No. There's... It's not good for anyone. Yeah. So yeah. Having, not having your village around you, has that kind of been a big challenge? Oh, or... yeah, that's really hard. Actually, yeah. we both find that really difficult because – yeah, no one's really available all the time. Like it's mm. you, you certainly couldn't do anything sporadic. Everything has to be planned well in advance. And then yeah. how often do you do that, honestly? Mm. Everything just gets a bit too hard. Yeah. So there's certainly not anyone close by where you can just ring and go, Hey, we just want to go to the movies tonight or something and like it's not I know there's babysitting services, but yeah. um I'm just not hundred percent comfortable with that. I think there's a lot of yeah, no I'm I'm not hundred percent comfortable with a babysitting service. So we do suffer in that way. Mm. So our time is time alone individually. So yep. I'll go and do something by myself. I think I'm trying to plan a weekend where I can go and stay in one of those tiny houses. Oh, cool. And like just bring a book yeah, and just go and sit in the countryside somewhere and that will be my thing. And then Greg loves to go up the river to Echuca. Sometimes he brings Ethan because he, like, he loves yeah. it. Greg and Ethan are very close. But sometimes he just likes to go away and do stuff, or even if it's just a night at his best mate's house. Yeah. Everyone needs that time. To regroup. Yeah. Yeah. And just socialise, or not even, even in my case, not socialise, just be on my own and just my own thoughts, not hear mum every five minutes. Well, and you don't have to be on. Like, you can actually just switch off and let go, because I think even, you know, even if there's two of us in the house and, you know, it's the difference between having, like, a sleep when you don't when you know you're not going to have to wake up to a kid. Yes, exactly. And, you know, And they might sleep through, but you're still aware of them there. It's still that responsibility. Yeah. And mm. sometimes it's nice just to walk away from that and go, cool, that's someone else's responsibility yeah. for a bit. Absolutely. I'll be planning on more of them. Now they're older as well. I'll be planning on more. It makes such a big difference, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. I've found this last year, like, all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, I'm not a slave to sleep times. We can go somewhere and I can do something in the morning and extend it into the afternoon. Yeah, I know your days are not split constantly. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. definitely advantages. I mean, I love them little, but there's advantages to them getting mm. older. Yeah, um, I'm trying not to wish them older at the same, same time. Same, yeah. So even now, Harvey, we had it down pat where, you know, like they'd go to sleep and we'd walk out of the room and now he likes a cuddle and I, you know, will fall asleep in my arms quite often. And now I'm kind of like, I'm just going to do this because it's kind of nice. And, you know, but, you know, a year ago I would have been really frustrated with that. Like, Well, we have Ethan, bless his heart, has always had issues calming himself. Yep. And he can take quite a decent amount of time each evening mm. to go from on Ethan to switched off Ethan. And it is not your book and your quiet time. Like most kids, <laughs> it is really hard work and we try and so very often and I would say from yeah look honestly his whole life he has needed me to help him go Mm -hmm. to sleep so it'll be the same thing and he's nearly five but he will need someone he needs someone to copy off so like he'll follow a cue like if you're doing that and you're breathing heavily and you've closed your eyes 
then I guess that that's my time to do it. But that's not something he can do on his own. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that's yeah. always hard. So that helps him regulate. Yes, he yeah. needs, definitely needs someone to help him regulate. We try lots okay. of things like, you know, those like kids' podcasts where yeah. yep. kindling, I think, is yep. good. Um, but again, it's like everything, <laughs> everything like arouses him rather than like, calms him so yeah when he listens to that he's just like cool we're going to the moon <laughs> <laughs> his imagination's like yes. and then he's jumping up and down and he's like this is yeah. the complete opposite to what they said would happen <laughs> but he's a special little kid but um yeah he's uh he, i'm the same it's always having to lie down with him and calm him but you don't change it because one day they don't want it yeah, it's, you know, and everyone's like, you know, just be in the moment. It's like this moment is really Sometimes hard. the moment you don't want to be there. No. Sometimes you just get a bit annoyed with it and annoyed with the routine. Sometimes yeah. you just want to go and sit down and watch some trash TV. And then mm. other times it's really nice. But that is the balance and the sacrifice, I guess, of just being. Yeah. Um, so is Isabel very different from that? Um, She started to play up a bit, but I yeah. think she's getting to the age because we've still kept her in our cot. Cause mm-hmm. Why not? I do not want her escaping right now. But she's getting to that age where she's able to express that she doesn't want to be in the cot anymore. So we're like, oh, God, here it starts again. So she's getting to that difficult stage where she doesn't want to go to bed. Um, So we just hold off on that. I'll just Mm. stick my head in the sand for a bit more. Yeah. They're similar in a lot of ways. How old is she now? She's two and a half. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Once Harvey started climbing out of his cot and it went from, like, everything's fine to one day, oh, look, he's out Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he's going to hit his head. Mm -hmm. We put a gate on his room. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I didn't do it with Ethan. Mm-hmm. I think that's maybe where I could have nipped it in the bud. <laughs> Look at me now. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah. Um, I'll do that with Isabel. Oh, mm. yeah. She's a stubborn little. I reckon they're second kid as well. They just kind of like screw you. Oh, they just do what they want. Yeah. And Isabel like, owns the room as well. And Greg, she, yeah, he can't answer to her. She just gives him this look with this finger and he's just like, anything you say. <laughs> It's so funny having known Greg since high school and kind of hearing about him as a dad. It's kind of like there's like two different people. I feel like there probably is. Yeah. I feel like there is. Because oh, no I, one's who they were in high school. No, yeah. but what I've like, what I've heard of him sort of in high school compared to now, I mean, he's obviously grown. I mean, everyone grows as a human, but I think Greg is really grown as a human and I think it's maybe us together have been really good as well because Mm -hmm. I think we've sort of learned off each other and I think he is a lot more considerate now and not that he wasn't considerate before but I think he just thinks so much deeper now about things and he's a very very good dad he's a very natural dad sometimes Mm -hmm. I think he's a better parent than actually most of the time he's a better parent than me honestly he's really good like nothing faces him Okay. Um, he's very chilled. And that's not what he used to be. He never mm. used to be chilled. He's always quite a fiery person. Mm. But he is just like, just gets on with it. There's nothing really that bothers him. And he's, I learn off him. Okay. Yeah. We're like the traditional opposites, really, because I'm just the, I'm a little bit more highly strung, totally messy, not very good at housework or cleaning. And he's the opposite. He's like <laughs> the really good parent, like always cleaning. <laughs> Does the laundry. Yeah. He's, That's a good deal, I think. It's pretty good. Yeah, he's yeah. good like that. He's good. I'll have to go and earn the bacon soon, so. Did you go into your uni course with an idea of what you wanted to do with the qualification? Kind of, but not really, because I feel like it was a subject that's really huge. So mm. I think the career opportunities are really massive. And I don't think I really stu- understood a lot about PR 
until I'd really started studying it. Yeah. I think I'd always... So I remember when I was um, when I first moved to Australia, I walked around the Melbourne Library, you know, that amazing study area. Yeah. just insane. And I remember looking there and going, one day I want to study and I want to do a uni degree and I want to, like, come here and do it. And I remember thinking I always wanted to do journalism. Okay. Because I love writing. Yeah, when I was searching courses, this one kind of were, was had a little bit more leeway with opportunities for careers, so I yep. opted with this one. Journalism would be a really hard area. To yeah, do. journalism's hard, and also it's like journalism's changed so much, and the media landscape has changed so much that it's actually quite a bottleneck now, in my opinion. Yeah. Whereas communications and public relations is a really wide area, and literally every large company needs it. Mm-hmm. So you've got scope. And so I think at this point still, my idea is to get into a communications role for a charitable company. It's not going to be great money. Not like maybe going to work for a huge company and sort of working for profit. But it's you've got to really find where your values are in life and Mm -hmm. sort of put your passion of your work into an area that's really interesting. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. Especially at this age in life where I've kind of got that option there's just yeah. no point me doing something and hating it so I've been procrastinating but I've meant to be applying for grad jobs there's been a couple opportunities where I've had opportunities to write feature articles and things for charities oh um, right things you know like I did one free it was for uni but I donated it sort of did an article about a charity that they could use then for their own PR okay But I think that that's really where my passion lies is just to be a voice for a charity and be able to have that sort of strategic knowledge of communications and where to reach, Mm -hmm. who to reach, how to say it, where it's going to be seen um, and sort of really control relationships between groups because that's really essentially what the job is. Yeah. And just do it somewhere where I really love what I do and what it's about because why not? It's just a much nicer way of working than... It's a very noble goal. Yeah. I guess you and I were probably quite privileged in that the financial stability is there. Yeah, definitely. So we can really pick and choose what it is we want to do. Very fortunate in that way. So I've been able to take my time Mm -hmm. and really find something that I align with. I think Greg's like, can you not just find the job that pays the most? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which I could, but... I think when you are passionate about something, you're creative. And yep. I think in this job that I'm going to be doing, you need to be creative. Mm-hmm. You need to think really strategically, but think of really great ideas. And I think if you don't really care as much about something, it, the creativity is not going to be there. Harder to find you know, that You solution. can go and work for someone like Rio Tinto or something and not really mm-hmm. give a shit about what they're doing. And I think that they could probably do with a PR person at the moment. Yeah, I think their PR is pretty bad, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, I think they've stuffed off a fair bit. Yeah, so I don't want anything to do with that. I just really want to find somewhere where I can have a really good impact and sort of be able to use my skill to be a, a larger voice. Mm. That or hospital communications, because I think that's really important as well. I think you've said that to me before. Yeah, health communication yeah. is really important. I mm-hmm. like that. I was always keen to do um, so go into government work and sort of work for the Department of Health, maybe health campaigns and things, because mm-hmm. that's quite like major planning and long-term work and Mm. just less creativity I think so I think yeah a bit more red tape a bit more you've got to stick with more highly scrutinized though yeah he yeah massively massively Mm. 
which is terrifying as well. That'll be interesting. Yeah. So is it standard practice to do a grad year? You don't have to do no. You don't have to do a grad year. You'd have to do a grad year if you want to work in the government. Okay. Um, I've missed this year's intake. You got to apply for it. But I'm just going to see how it goes because there's lots of agencies out there, mm-hmm. and lots of agencies are hired by non for profits to work with them on creative campaigns. So yep. I just need to find an agency that I know has really great clients that I'll be able to work with. And it's obviously everything's got to be right. The culture's got to be right. You know, I'm not. I'm not just going to waste all my time and step into a job that's going to yep, not allowed. suck it out of me and just be miserable. So I've got to be quite picky. But I'm lucky I can be picky. Yeah. And then I can. And then I'll be. Yeah. Then I'll be happy. And then I'll feel like I've got a bit more of an identity other than student fee and mum fee. <laughs> yeah. I really having left work and it was time for me to leave my job after I had Harvey. But yeah. Just letting that go was, it was, it was a huge part of my identity and it was how I'd kind of, you know, the first thing you ask somebody when you meet them is like, exactly. you know, what is it you do? Yeah. I was like, what do I do? And every form I've had to fill out, you know, occupation. Yes. And I cannot for the life of me write stay-at-home mum because mm. I'm like, well, I do work really hard. Mm. You know, uni is a really big deal. It's like really time-consuming. So I always write student, but I feel... There's that identity problem there that yep. I've probably been struggling with for a long time, but um, yep. I'm getting there. It's kind of sad, though, in society that we do look for an occupational identity over anything else because yeah. I can guarantee you that anything I do at work won't be as hard as what I do at <laughs> home. <laughs> yeah, how many people, even Greg says sometimes, like, I'm so glad I get to go to work and not mm. deal with this every day. Yeah. So it's kind of sad that we all still need to feel validated by what we do rather than who we are but yeah it's kind of that crappy part of society where you just look for something yeah and I would never you know look at a friend and be like oh, oh she's no. just a stay-at-home mum but it's but how for you me feel. I'm like I'm just a stay-at-home yeah, mum exactly and then same thing on the forms I'm like I mean we run our own business and I do the books and the admin and whatever and but I forget that yeah like, I completely discount that yeah no, I'm just going to, you know, professional podcaster. So. <laughs> well, it's a thing now. It totally is. It's official. You know, no money in it, but that's a, that's fine. Still a job. I'd still list it. Yeah. I have to employ your services as a PR. Oh, yeah. I can help you get some strategy going. Excellent. So what do you do in your downtime? I like to spend a lot of time on my own. Yeah. Um, okay. That's my... Uh, So I love walking. Mm -hmm. So my downtime recently is I just love to get out and do walks. And I'll do it sometimes in the evenings when Greg gets home if I need to have, because I really need that sort of space and thinking time. Mm -hmm. And I've always really benefited from that. I think I've just been so used to being on my own that that's really my free group time as well. Um, Because life can get so busy with kids that (laughs) for like a bit of an introvert, like it can be quite overwhelming and I just need quiet. Yep. So my downtime is headphone on, music and walking. Nice. And then I just get to exercise. It's relaxing for me and I can just lose myself in my head. Mm-hmm. So it's really very ordinary. That is all right. <laughs> that, Quite extraordinary. That is, my, that is my thing. I just love to just be on my own. Just yep. Yeah, if I can get a good walk somewhere, like, you know, a real nice nature reserve or something, in love. Mm-hmm. Super happy. And I come back recharged and good to go. Nice. Yeah. How do you procrastinate? Uh, every day. 
how do I, how do I procrastinate? It's not, I, I don't know. If, yeah, I definitely procrastinate. But you know what else I do that drives Greg mad is I will do, uh, when I'm really trying to do something, I'll do eight things at once and yeah. then leave eight things undone. Mm-hmm. It's the worst. You know, where it's like, I'm going to clean the bathroom. And I'm like, oh, but the laundry drawer's full. I'm going to take the laundry out. So the washing machine. Oh, but that's, okay, I need to do that. <laughs> and then when I stand and look around at all my hard work, I realize that literally everything is undone. Mm-hmm. That's the worst thing about me. Procrastinating. Oh, I love scrolling through TikTok. Oh, I downloaded it and then deleted it because I was, yeah, (laughs) it was immediately I could see how dangerous it was. It's pretty addictive. Mm -hmm. I don't really, I think I've done a couple of videos and shared them with friends because it highly amused me at the time. Mm -hmm. That was when we were all in lockdown mode and very bored. But other than that, sort of, if I get five minutes, I'll just flick through and have a really good belly laugh at some of the stupid content on there. Yeah. Yeah, I would try and procrastinate pretty much everything in life Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. spread it out a little bit more if greg ever listens to this he'll be like i knew it (laughs) but yeah yeah i am a bit guilty of that yep once i'm on i'm on takes me a long time to get there though yeah is it just the starting yeah 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 because once i'm gone i'm gone like i'm a gun i'll get Mm -hmm. it finished but it's that starting takes me yeah a long time Mm. so but that's it yeah that's my advice (laughs) I can I can associate with that. Yes. <laughs> How did you find lockdown? Actually, I found it fine. We were really lucky to not be really badly impacted by it, like mm-hmm. so many other people, because Greg is an essential worker, mm-hmm. as an electrician, and he runs his own business, and he stayed really busy throughout lockdown. Okay. So really the only stress was him being out in the community. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I thoroughly enjoyed it because <laughs> it kind of meant like the... <laughs> I find sometimes I find social situations, although like I'm with friends and people I know really well, sometimes they can be quite stressful for yeah. me. And so I find them quite exhausting. So I'm always like really tired after them. And especially with the kids running around as well, because they're just nuts. So I found it great. Yeah. I really didn't mind it. I think I found the kids being around all the time difficult because keeping them entertained was probably the hardest thing. Yeah. I had to drop a unit at uni, which was a shame, but that's the only thing that I had to do then I really can't complain Mm -hmm. but other than that I really really liked it yeah yeah I was just we just did our own thing walks little walks on the scooter just not really having to worry about sort of going anywhere it's a lot of time in tracksuit pants yes this whole like real pants thing for a whole day yeah I haven't actually been able to do it yet I haven't I'm still in like elastic waisted most things yeah it really was look I'm so lucky to say that it didn't really impact us in a bad way at all Mm -hmm. it was fine for us so how then have you found re-entry that was scary part that was scary the kids started going the kids started going back to daycare and kinder and that was fine and I think it was like it's not really been bad I think it's more sort of branching out a bit more and having to start planning things and committing to plans now that Mm. sort of seems a bit overwhelming. I didn't think I'd miss people as much as I did towards the end of it. Towards the end of it, I started thinking, I really think I would like to see some people and Mm -hmm. have a drink, actually. And I don't always get those feelings. I'm usually quite happy not. Yeah, look, re-entering has been fine, but it's been a, a slow process, so it's not been anything overwhelming. I definitely feel ready for cocktails. Yes. I feel like I've really worked my way towards that. Yeah. That's an earned thing now. On a uni holiday too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. 
So I should definitely take mm-hmm. like most of it. We'll make that happen. Maybe just day drink. Nicole, if you're listening, could you organise something, yeah, please? Yeah, yeah I would organise it, Nicole. Yeah. <laughs> um, so is there anything that you want to keep from lockdown and, like, bring it into real time again? Good question. Because nothing really changed for me, mm-hmm. I can't really say that anything I've learned anything from lockdown, yep. apart from the fact that definitely comfortable in my own company Mm -hmm. and yep my kids are really annoying (laughs) (laughs) full-time but other than that no not really yeah just the same old I think maybe just appreciate the smaller things because I think before not that we were always busy but there's always something to do so if we were going out on the bike or the scooter I'd be like yeah we'll try and work this and then maybe Mm -hmm. get that done so I'm like oh come on hurry up let's go you know it's just life where you always feel like everything's on a time schedule, whereas mm-hmm. in lockdown it wasn't. So, you know, if Isabel wanted to take five hours to get two seconds down the street and yep. pick up every rock on the way, <laughs> it was like, oh, well, I'll just kill some time, you know? Yeah. So it allowed the children to really enjoy quality time with each other and not feel rushed. And I think that was a really good thing. And I think a lot of people have noticed after that that kids really, obviously, I mean, mm. science says benefits from a really stress-free, unrushed lifestyle, which is easy to say, not always easy to do because yeah. there's always things you've got to get done and places to be, kinder, whatever, and always leaving things late or forgetting to pack lunch and everything's rushed. And But that was a really good part of it was just everything really did slow down. So mm-hmm. you just really enjoyed being together, I guess, in that sense. So that was a good aspect of it. But then with Greg, I didn't really get that much time with him because he was so crazy busy. And then when yeah. he comes home, it's all paperwork and... Putting kids to bed. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he just was like, he it was just a bit different, but the same at the same time. Yep. Yeah. And how do you feel like knowing that what's happening back in England is very different to what's happening here? Is that a stressor for you? Yeah, it is and it isn't. Like, obviously, I'm in contact with my parents. My parents have been so really struggling mm-hmm. because I don't think they've really left the house in 14 weeks it's really bad I think around where they they live as well because they live in east Kent they're at like the very bottom east of the country for a little okay. pokey out bit mm-hmm. the community cases are quite high around there okay um they rely a lot on my sisters to help with the shopping mm-hmm. but Tizzy my youngest sister who I've spoke spoken about the most all her housemates got coronavirus, so then she was unable to come. She actually managed to, like, test negative every time and didn't right. come unwell, wow. which is really bizarre. Mm. Um, uh, but she had to stop seeing them, so then they had to rely on my other two sisters who were, like, over an hour away. Yeah, okay. So that made it really hard because mm. we really didn't want them leaving the house. I think a few times they just had to. Yeah. I don't think it's done any good for my poor old dad who suffers with like pretty chronic depression Mm -hmm. so that's always a worry and my and tizzy my sister actually got a job in did she get it in february she got offered a job for striker which is a surgical company for the role of a surgical advisor in frankston and mornington so she was meant to be moving to australia i remember you posting about that yeah and she was it, look, it's like when my sister's here, my life will vastly improve. Mm. I can guarantee it. Like she's sort of like the, I don't ever, I would never have described myself as it, but she would definitely be the missing puzzle in my life. Like yep. she's the one thing that I sort of really miss and, and mm-hmm. need. She was meant to be coming and actually crazy story. She had a flight booked 
it was a rush because coronavirus was in its infancy and yep. things were getting a bit crazy. And I said, Tizzy, literally get on a flight now, mm-hmm. like pack your bags and get here because I swear they're going to be closing the borders in the next couple of days. Yeah. And then I don't know when they're going to open. She left, she handed in the notice with her landlord and they were really good at like a last minute thing. She literally dumped everything she owned at a charity shop, bar one suitcase. Oh so God. everything she owned. And she, her friend drove her all the way to Heathrow. She managed to get on a flight to Perth, mm-hmm. all booked, ready to go. She ran into the airport and then she got the phone call from her because obviously she was going through her company and a visa company yeah. who worked for her company. She got the message come through. The borders are closing at, I think, 9 p.m. tomorrow, which means you won't make it. You won't. And she wouldn't make it. I think she tried to get on an early flight to Perth, but then she'd be quarantined in Perth for two weeks with no one to stay with, no one to bring her food or anything. And that was before the hotels were actually, like, catering for that. Yeah. So she would have been literally all on her own. And then she probably wouldn't even be able to get to Melbourne because of the... Border closures. Border closures. Yep. So she got to Heathrow. She didn't even check. She checked in her bag and then she had to uncheck it. It was that close. Oh, my goodness. And then she had to go. And then she's got nowhere to live because... She's handed in she notice. She handed in her notice. She's her. given everything away. <laughs> so my sister, bless her heart, is spending lockdown couch surfing on people's houses and then having to move when they get coronavirus. <laughs> oh, so she's just like this little floating... Oh, wow. Virus avoider. Yeah. So that's the stress for me. But um, I I feel like everyone else is safe and okay and Mm -hmm. doing fine. Um, And so, yeah, it's just crappy just to watch from afar. Yeah. Not be able to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. But I also feel detached from it as well. Okay. Being here such a long time. Yeah. So you Um, don't feel that urge to be over there or feel that distance? No, no. No, I don't feel that at all. So... Um, yeah, it's been a long time, so mm. you have concerns for your family, but that's really about it. Don't really feel. That's good. I mean, it's not like you have any power in that situation. No, I so. know. Well, there's nothing else you can do, really. Like, yeah. That's it. So you just got to just, I just keep in contact with them, mm-hmm. have a chat. When my dad needs a chat, like he'll give me a call and we'll have a chat. Or my mum. My mum mm-hmm. talks a lot, though. Hopefully I'm not too much like mum. <laughs> Nothing wrong with talking. I'm a big advocate for talking. <laughs> so mum can go on a bit on the phone, but mum's the kind of person on the phone, though, where she would be talking and you could put the phone down and do something <laughs> and you would come back to it and she would still be talking and she wouldn't have even noticed that you hadn't verbally responded to okay. anything for about yep. five minutes. So okay. mum's that kind of person. Yep. So, but she's fine. As long as she's talking to something, <laughs> she's okay. Everything's safe. <laughs> yeah. Bless yep. her. Yeah. And I usually like to end the podcast just asking if you have an idea about what life looks like five years from now. Um, oh, that's a really good question. Life for me five years from now, I picture myself working hopefully part-time in a really awesome communications role that I'm really happy in, maybe in a bigger house mm-hmm. um, with a really awesome view. I really... I just want my, yeah, in five years' time, I hope my kids are really settled in school and they found their feet socially and Greg will probably, Greg's like this unchanging, wonderful man who will probably be doing the same thing in five years. (laughs) Just happy, I guess, healthy, maybe in a different house and just killing it, I think. Mm -hmm. Just 
killing it. Fingers crossed. Fabulous. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you for listening to me. Oh, it's been a real pleasure and your honesty has been, yeah, I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. It's quite a, yeah, quite a story sometimes when you say it all. But yeah. yeah I don't huge. talk about it a lot mm-hmm. either because I feel like it's a bit of a drain. It's yeah. probably something where if people are listening to this and know me who are Australian, they'll be like, did not know that. <laughs> so, yeah, but no, it's been a pleasure. Good, and I really enjoyed it too, so thank oh, you. Thanks, Matt. How amazing is she? Fee has such a great grasp on who she is and where she's going. I love it. I have an update for you about Tizzy, Fee's sister. She's finally made it to Melbourne after quarantining in Sydney for two weeks in October and she's been able to start a new role and start getting into the swing of things over here. I'm so glad to hear it. She would often pop up in my thoughts. What a time to be displaced. Welcome to Oz, Tiz. I'm looking forward to meeting you and having a cocktail or two. As I usually do, I'd like to reflect on my experiences that came up for me after this chat with Fee. I've mentioned it in the podcast before that I had postnatal anxiety after I had Kenzie. It wasn't until about the six-month mark after having Ken's that I realised that I wasn't just sleep-deprived. I was actually struggling to sleep, even when I had the opportunity. When Ken's woke up in the night, it would take a long time for me to get back to sleep. I replayed the birth in my head a lot, or would imagine scenarios where Ken's was hurt. I had a lot of those dreams where you wake up trying to catch the baby as she's falling. I was hypervigilant and would be very particular about how the kettle was filled, how bottles were sterilised, clothes were cleaned, how she was strapped into the car, and the list goes on. I'll have to ask Mick about that time. I don't think anybody would have known how much I was struggling, and I didn't really understand it myself. The parenting bit I didn't find difficult. I mean, it was relentless and it was tiring, but I didn't question my abilities there. Ken's was a pretty chill baby. Sometimes I actually felt pretty smug. And she just came with me wherever I went. But I did question my place in the world and what my contribution was. And to be honest, that one still plays out a bit for me, but I'm getting better with it. Back then, I would hide the hard stuff away, and I was so determined to be fine that I would cry when I was alone. Even now, thinking about it, it feels like it was a different person, and I really have to think hard about what was actually happening for me at the time. Reflecting on this now, and how determined I was to hide my struggle, it strikes me just how brave it was for Fee to reach out to me then. It takes strength to be vulnerable like that, and to know you're not feeling okay, especially in the face of such pervasive messaging about how you should feel and the absolute glossy perfection that motherhood is painted to be. I always thought that postnatal depression and anxiety happened straight after you had the baby, but apparently many women and men seek help for it around the six months mark or beyond. More than one in seven new mums and up to one in 10 new dads experience postnatal depression each year in Australia. Postnatal anxiety is just as common and many parents experience anxiety and depression at the same time. If you're pregnant or have recently had a baby or if you're 12 years down the track and you're feeling like you're just not yourself, start by saying it out loud. 
Your loved ones are here to help you and you are absolutely deserving of love and care and whatever you're feeling is valid and true and I can also promise it won't last forever. I found the text message I sent to Fee after she reached out. Here's some of what I wrote to her and for the most part, I think it still stands. Well done on recognising how you're feeling. The first few weeks were definitely pretty hard. Amazing, but they completely wrecked me too. I found the days pretty repetitive. I could never seem to achieve anything. My boobs were agony and lordy was I tired. And on top of that, I was stir crazy. I know it's a cliche, but looking back, I wish I had just given myself a break. Ignored the dishes, washing, meals, super mum expectations and allowed myself the time and space to just chill out and stare at and cuddle Kenzie. And sleep. It's only been a week. Make sure you're gentle with yourself and if you need someone there with you, tell them. The feeding and sleeping will regulate. If you have any concerns, just hit your maternal child health nurse up with lots of questions. If she tells you to do anything that doesn't sit right with you, then ignore her and just take the bits you like. And if anyone tries to talk to you about sleep training or that you're cuddling your baby too much, tell them to F right off. You're doing a great job. And to you, if you're listening right now, I want you to know, you, you're doing a great job. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. If you're enjoying it and think that someone you know would enjoy it, I'd be so grateful to you for sharing it. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Extraordinary Ordinary Pod. And if you're listening through the Apple iTunes or Spotify app, a subscribe, rate and review would also see me doing a happy dance. Speak to you again soon. And until then, I hope your days are extraordinary. Extraordinary.